pride. Being proud of our own journey. Celebrating love, inclusivity, and acceptance. Welcome to a special pride edition of our Culture Chats podcast. Join us for a conversation with two friends who talk about their journeys of allyship in action and being part of the LGBTQIA communities as they reflect on what pride means to them. Please note that these conversations are based on employees' personal experiences and are not reflective of the HM brand. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Amanda Bobke, and I am here with my friend, Joe Nolasco. I feel very lucky to be having this conversation with her today. We have worked together for the last four years, which, as they say in the tech world, is probably like 10 years, kind of in dog years. And we're here to talk about Pride Month and sort of discussing what taking ownership looks like as an ally. Um, But Joe wanted to let you say hi. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, uh, my name is Joe. My pronouns are she, her. And uh, like Amanda said, we've been here for over four years, actually. So yeah, it's it's been a minute here. It's been a minute. My pronouns also are she, her. Want to kick that off real nice for us and make sure we're being inclusive because that's what we're here to talk about today. So um, first wanted to kind of get into what Pride Month means to you. Joe, do you want to kick it off? Yeah, sure. So uh, as both an ally and a member of the LGBTQIA plus community, uh, it means a lot of different things. Uh, Celebrating love, of course, first and foremost, Uh, being proud of who I am uh, and the progress that's been made over the years, you know, around the world and the increasing acceptance and success of members in this community Uh, in areas that were previously cis-het dominated. uh, I think it's really important to acknowledge that progress has been made, although there's still work to be done. Um, but it's also a time of reflection and remembrance for those that have been fighting the good fight uh, since the inception of this movement. Um, so yeah, a lot of emotions come with pride, but uh, all very happy emotions. I love that. And for anyone that might not know, could you explain maybe what cishet means? Yeah, of course. So uh, cis, uh, it's just shorthand for cisgender, meaning you uh, identify as the sex that you are assigned at birth. So born female, identify as a woman female. Um, And het is heterosexual, meaning uh, you are attracted to the opposite sex. Yeah, I think that's something that we don't even think about is heteronormativity. And we assume that everyone is in a heterosexual relationship or identifies as being heterosexual and is cisgender. And I think that's something that we can kind of reflect on during Pride Month too, is that why do queer people have to come out? Why is there always the assumption that they're the opposite way? So I think that's a really interesting point that you make about cishet and all of that. And so just wanted to kind of dive into what those abbreviations are for maybe some of our friends that might not know. And that kind of leads me to, you know, what Pride Month means to me. I have learned a lot uh, about the LGBTQIA plus community. And for me, pride really feels like the all encompassing time to reflect on everything that I have learned about the community and about what this world looks like and what that means. So um, for me, I have a lot of queer people in my life or people that are part of the community. I love performing in musical theater and kind of with that comes the, friends in the queer community, which I love. And so I've gotten to know a lot of people like this. And 
uh, reflect on what it means to be an ally to them, what it means to be supportive and understand them and respect them. So for me, pride is really a lot of reflection on the growth that I've done as an ally and all of the learning that I've done. So I have a lot of warm fuzzies this month, especially about it um, this year specifically. So I'm really excited to kind of dig into this a little bit more if you're ready. Yeah, of course. So, uh, you know, you mentioned that you're still in the in the throes of your journey as an ally. So tell me a little bit more about your journey as an ally. And was there anything that happened specifically that pushed you to take ownership over your allyship? Yeah. So like I mentioned, I perform in musical theater and I have a community of theater friends around me. And I originally started doing that when I was 10 years old. And at that point, you know, didn't really know up from down anyway. But as I've gotten older, I kind of stepped away and I came back to it last year. And last year I was in a production of The Sound of Music and I was playing Maria and I met a friend and their name is Ash. And Ash and I just immediately connected. There was just like this synergy and we were immediately drawn to each other. And I think within a few months of meeting each other, we were like, you're my best friend. And Ash is actually non-binary. And I obviously have heard of people who identify as non-binary or who use they, them pronouns, but I had never experienced someone in my life that close to me being non-binary. So for me, it's been a really quick turnaround for experiencing what it's like to know and love someone that is non-binary and see the situations that they encounter and that they struggle with. So um, Ash, I would say people assume that Ash is um, a female using she, her pronouns and oftentimes will misgender them that way. And even in situations like going to a restaurant, you know, the server is trying to be kind and comes to the table and it's me and Ash and they say, hi ladies, how are we doing today? And even something so small like that can really affect Ash and make them feel not seen. And so I've seen the struggles that they face about being respected and people asking about their pronouns. They even have um, a little pin that they'll wear on like their denim jacket that says they, them to indicate their pronouns. Um, And it's just interesting to see that people think they're being inclusive by saying things like that. Like, hi, ladies, they're being kind and warm when in reality, they're actually making people feel marginalized, separated um, and not included. So having someone so close to me be non-binary um, and sharing that experience with people in my life that are also not familiar has been really interesting too. Like my own family had never experienced this either. And so this was a big challenge for them of figuring out how to um, use Ash's pronouns and be respectful and seeing the way that I could be an ally to Ash, you know, supporting them, defending them, um, making sure that people use the correct pronouns and things like that. So I would say over the last six, seven months, that's been a huge change for me of having someone that is um, in the community, non-binary, um, all those things that's really kind of amplified my allyship. Um, but yeah, what about you? I feel like you've kind of seemed like you've always been an ally or that you're very familiar, you're part of the community. Um, what does your allyship kind of look like? Uh, so honestly, I wasn't even really aware of the concept of allyship for a really long time. You know, I grew up in a pretty conservative town, so I wasn't really exposed to that community or that culture for the majority of my life, I would say. Um, I had a cousin, you know, growing up that was an out lesbian basically my entire life. And my parents really raised me with that belief of like, if someone's doing something with their lives that like doesn't hurt themselves or others, then why are you bothered about it? Why do you care? It's none of your business. Um, So I have always been accepting of the community, but I was never like actively an ally. Um, But I think I could kind of pinpoint the inception of my allyship to social media and like specifically YouTube. So YouTube was obviously 
like an explosion at a certain time of our lives. You know, we grew up with in the age of the internet. So we had a lot of access to a lot of information and I followed a lot about YouTubers. And with that, I started to hear more of the terms like pronouns and the importance of them and the word ally and learning what it means to be one and I specifically remember um, a video with Tyler Oakley who's an absolute queer icon in the YouTube community Um, he uh, made a video with Janet Mock um, talking about what being an ally is and that it's more than a noun it's a verb so it's action it's taking action to one educate yourself and two using that education with your privilege to elevate the voices and you know the goals of the community and the movement And that action obviously looks different for everyone. For me in my own journey, it's been donating to really great organizations like the HRC, the Human Rights Campaign, uh, the Trevor Project, uh, and also being really mindful about what I'm supporting even financially, like taking the time to specifically support LGBTQ plus artists and also avoiding supporting companies that support anti-LGBTQ plus legislation. Um, So it's it's constant. It's very mindful uh, for me now that I'm even more aware of uh, my allyship. Um, but yes, yeah, and even uh, even when I came out, it, it wasn't something that I was aware of. I came out kind of early. Um, and even then, I, I didn't know what allyship was. So it everyone kind of comes across this information at their own pace. Like you said, I I feel like you've also been an ally forever, but it's a lot more personal for you more recently because you have that very personal connection. And I love that bringing Ash into your life has even helped bring your family into allyship. You know, it's so broad and it's so expansive. Yeah. I think it's really easy to, or at least for people to think of people in the LGBTQIA plus community as others especially if they don't know them. So when you bring a real tangible person into their life and say, here's this human, their name is Ash and I love them and I care about them. And you show your family, this person, it's really hard for them to misgender that person because my family loves Ash. They really care about Ash. They want to respect Ash. So even though it's like a conscious mental thing, that's hard for them, quote unquote, to discern like, oh, I think Ash looks like a girl, quote unquote. So I want to say she, her, they know that that hurts Ash and that's not respectful and considerate towards them. So it's been a really interesting progression to see them actively work towards using the correct pronouns or even like people that I know they have a hard time with the they, them pronoun for the argument's sake of, oh, it's a grammar issue, whatever. Even seeing people like that, just call them by their name because Ash, that is their preferred name, right? So fine, don't use the they, them pronouns, but if you at least call them by their correct name and just always say that, at least they're making steps towards that progress too. And I wanted to kind of jump back to your point about you know, how you grew up with your family. My family was interesting because I did have gay people in my family, but I didn't even know. Um, my parents did not share this with me, but what I found out later was by request of the person themselves. There was this time where they felt that it was dangerous or maybe taboo to share with younger people about being gay, about being queer, about being part of the LGBTQIA plus community. And so actually they had said to my parents, we'll tell Amanda when she's old enough or when she starts asking questions. So my mom's brother is actually gay. My great aunt 
is gay and one of my cousins is gay um my cousin it was a little bit more obvious because he was married to a man and they said this is his husband <laughs> michael so that one was a little bit more obvious but my mom's brother i just had no idea he was my hairstylist when i was younger he did my hair and one day i was just looking at a photo and i asked my mom i said is my uncle gay and i think i was maybe 15 and it just maybe dawned, like dawned on me in that moment and she said yes, and that they would have been waiting until I brought up that conversation, which I think is so different from how it is today, where we're more open and forthcoming with this kind of information. And um, same thing with my my great aunt was, hey, is is she gay? Is what? Or I think maybe it was even more of a conversation of, does she have a partner? What's her romantic relationship situation? And it kind of came up organically that way. So things have changed a lot. And I would agree with you, Joe, that I don't think I ever had a term for allyship. It was simply that I love that person. I supported that person. I care about that person. And maybe it wasn't actively an ally. Um, so since it was kind of on you, which I think it's great that you took ownership of like, hey, I'm I'm seeing something that I'm curious about. So let me ask about it. Um, what would you say to people who are afraid to have those hard conversations with their family uh, or more conservative friends, maybe who they think might not be accepting of them uh, as you invite them into allyship? That is genuinely a tough question because people that are afraid to have those conversations, I feel like they have to do some work on themselves even before they can have those conversations and feel confident and proud of having those conversations. And I've had to work on that myself because for a long time I was okay with just keeping the status quo, just keeping things calm, avoiding conflict. And for me, I was kind of in this struggle of, is it worth the upheaval? Is it worth the upset to try and get them to understand me, my friend, this situation? etc. And as I've gotten older, I think it's been a little bit easier to really reflect on my own personal values and how I feel and invite my family and those close to me into those kind of conversations. But also, I think as I was kind of saying before, having like a real person that you can use as your example, I think has helped so much because beyond anything that I could say to my family about being inclusive and respectful of pronouns, they can't deny the truth that Ash exists, that Ash right. is there. And that this is how Ash wants to be identified. This is how Ash wants to be interacted with. So when, you know, I could say whatever and say, you know, Ash wants this, Ash wants that. But when my parents look at Ash's face and actively choose to not use those pronouns or actively choose to, you know, misgender them, not use the correct name or whatever, it's a lot more impactful than it, I think anything that I could say. So I think it's kind of baby steps. It's kind of introducing them with maybe more tangible situations, but it's a slow process. It takes um, courage and bravery. And I mean, I think everyone that's part of the community are all brave. Everyone that's ever come out is brave. Anyone, you know, living their full truth is brave. And so as an ally, I think that was the other scary part is, oh shoot, I have to be brave as well um, to be a, a true, like good ally to my friends and um, that family and community. So I don't know. What do you think? Have you had any hard conversations like that that you have some wisdom to share about? Uh, honestly, I, I'll say that I'm really lucky uh, with my own personal journey, because even though I grew up in kind of a conservative area, my family has always been there for me and my friends have always been there for me. So what I would say to people who maybe still have to have those conversations is 
like you said, baby steps and make sure that you have a, a good support system to fall back on should anything, you know, go awry with with those connections. You have to make sure that no matter what, you are creating a safe space for yourself and for your friends. Um, so like you said, it, it takes a lot of bravery. You, you simply never know what someone's reaction to something will be. Um, you know, the fight is still ongoing and a lot of things are not normalized. A lot of people still have very strong opinions about certain things. So baby steps. Baby steps. But I think one thing that helped me also to become a good ally, kind of going back to your point about social media was very much that. I grew up in the same generation or era as you with YouTube and the internet. And I remember just seeing people that were different from me and being having a, just a genu genuine curiosity about this person. Why do they think that way? What do they feel? And just wanting to understand someone different from myself. So I think one of the first people that I really saw that was like, that was Gigi Gorgeous, who is a transgender woman and she's absolutely stunning. And I was just shocked because, you know, there's the idea of mm, passing as being a transgender person of whether or not a person would guess that you were not assigned at birth the gender that you are presenting as so right. um that was really shocking to me because I would never have guessed that she was born male and so I watched a lot of her videos and got to understand what the trans journey was like and also one of my favorite shows is RuPaul's Drag Race and that has just been a huge resource for the community and I've learned so much from that show obviously at the at its core it is a show for entertainment and reality tv but it really does share the experience of so many people um whether that's queens that came out as transgender later in life you know they were on the show performing as drag queens and then later realized that they are trans women or you know trans men whatever the case may be um a lot of the stories that they shared about being you know cut off from their families not being accepted by their loved ones and at least having this community with their sisters to lean on that was heartbreaking for me and looking at these people that are all valuable and worthy of love being, you know, cast out from their homes and, you know, ostracized from their families just broke my heart and really made me see that everyone deserves love and acceptance. So I really have learned a lot from RuPaul's Drag Race and there are so many franchises. It's even now expanded, you know, internationally, there's Canada, there's Mexico, France, so many queer stories that we now get to see and experience beyond just the U.S. as well. Um, so I really love that international platform that RuPaul has given to queens to share their stories and for people and allies to learn more about the community. And also now with the, you know, the absolute blow up of TikTok, there are so many queer creators on there and yes. so many great short form pieces of content to learn about the community too. Like I've seen so many more non-binary folks. There's one person who I believe is trans non-binary who also is deaf and a drag queen. And so not only are we getting into the territory of, you know, just the LGBTQIA plus community, but also differently abled people um, and really getting to see that even the LGBTQIA plus community is not a box. There are so many different kinds of people that have different experiences within that community as well. So I've just been exposed to so many different kinds of people. I've gotten to see so many great stories and, and learn so much. So I think while social media can be hard on the soul, hard on the heart, sometimes <laughs> for us personally, I think it's also been an amazing platform for us to learn and grow and see all these other people that we never had 
access to before. You know, someone out in the middle of Missouri can watch a TikTok about someone who's experiencing the non-binary um, experience and living their life um, happily, and they can maybe better understand them that way. So I really enjoy that piece of social media and the power of the internet. Yeah, and, and I feel like social media has been such a great way to passively educate myself like you you could take steps to actively educate yourself of course you know look things up uh read articles read books watch movies but subscribing to or following people and creators who are you know maybe not cishet um has been really informative because you know you're just scrolling your day away after work and you come across like some news about an event or you learn a new term or a phrase and it's not because you were all looking for it. It's because you're supporting all of these different creators and you learn something new. Yeah, absolutely. So from your experience being in the community, being an ally, everything you've learned from social media, have there been any behavioral shifts or changes in your language that you've adopted in order to, you know, create a more inclusive environment to those around you? Yeah, I think the biggest shift that I've adopted uh, more recently is using gender gender neutral terms like uh you know using partner or spouse instead of boyfriend girlfriend wife husband using sibling instead of sister brother or parent instead of mom or dad um, and trying to avoid coming to a group just like you said you know when you're out with Ash and somebody comes to the table and they say hey ladies how are we doing today instead of using things like that or saying hey guys when you join a zoom call um you know try using things like everyone, team, folks, or my personal favorite, the all-encompassing y'all. That's <laughs> the <Yeah>. best. <laughs> um, and, if, and if I don't use, or if I don't know someone's pronouns, like you said earlier, just use their name or use they, them, uh, just to avoid misgendering. Because a lot of people who use they, them pronouns are femme presenting or mass presenting. So you never know. Yeah, totally. I think that's a big differentiating thing about folks that are non-binary now is I feel that maybe the generation above us is used to folks maybe looking quote-unquote androgynous and they assume those are the people that are non-binary as opposed to the what you just said that people may present more feminine or masculine and so they might want to use either she her or he him for those individuals and they are shocked when they come to find out that those folks identify as non-binary and would prefer they them pronouns and that's what they want to use I think that's really where they get hung up is they're like oh I really thought that this non-binary person would look more androgynous or gender fluid or something like that where kind of in that maybe quote-unquote in between space that they would maybe make it more obvious um for a different generation but I'm with you 100% especially being friends with Ash I'm much more sensitive to my language now um not only in my personal life but even at work because you never know what people are experiencing and what people are going through. And just because someone is using she, her pronouns or he, him pronouns, it's not to say that that is really their preferred pronouns. Sometimes people, I think, don't feel emotionally safe yet, maybe to, or they haven't accepted that yet or feel comfortable to share. And being able to create an inclusive space, maybe I could help someone come to that realization and say, you know what, I really do want to use they, them pronouns or I have different pronouns that I identify with and being having a space that is more inclusive would make them feel more comfortable to do that. Or even if everyone truly does, you know, feel good with the pronouns that they're using, you never know what impact your choices can have on other people. You know, at work, I really champion, you know, taking time off, 
taking time for yourself, taking care of your yourself, your family, your mental health, your overall well-being. And I'm sure the team gets tired of hearing me say that. But I feel like I'm, you know, sort of like on repeat, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of unlearning that has to be done, even just with something as simple as convincing people to take time off, let alone getting people to understand what it means to accept and love others and respect them and use pronouns that are different from what someone grew up using. I feel like it has to be a constant message that you continue to repeat and reinforce so that everyone will understand this is, this is how we're doing things. Like, you know, if you're on my team, this is a safe space. This is an inclusive space. We respect people. We use the pronouns that they tell us to use and the name that they tell us to use. And my hope and prayer truly would be that they would take the team would take those lessons and apply them outside of even our, our team. So I feel like that is maybe an odd thing to think about, but I think about that when I come to work every day is how can I, you know, beyond what I do at work for my actual job, how can I make a difference in the world and to these people's lives? So I'm, I'm championing a bunch of different things on our team. And I think I've seen some trickle, you know, effects slowly happening. People being like, yeah, I do deserve time off. Yeah, I should step away and relax and take care of my mental health. Yeah, people do reserve, you know, deserve respect and love. You know, I want to see these kind of trickle down effects and hope that I can make even the slightest difference um, in someone's life, you know, maybe whether that's like seven degrees of separation or whatever the case may be. So yeah, I the language thing is is a hard one because it, it does require unlearning, but I think it is such an easy way to make people feel seen, included, loved. And taking that extra step of asking someone, you know, like, what are your pronouns, I think can make a world of difference. So I'm totally there with you. Yeah. And and even though you said that it feels repetitive, I think that's a huge part of allyship is consistency. There's a lot of unlearning that needs to happen. And what do you do when you're learning something new? You, you got to keep doing it. You got to do something a hundred thousand times to commit it to memory. And so um, I, I think it's great personally being a member of your team, knowing that you've created a, a very safe space for everyone to tell you, hey, I'm not feeling 100% today, or hey, I need to take off on, take off time on this day. I need to to take care of my mental psyche. I even feel comfortable, you know, with you as my manager, you know, just hitting you up and saying, hey, I just want to let you know, I'm not feeling great today. I'm going to be slow moving, or I'm going to need a little extra time with whatever project because I'm just like not feeling great. And I think that you've done a really great job of creating that safe space. Thanks, Joe. I think, you know, that is one thing that's so important of being an ally, especially in the workplace, is making people feel emotionally safe and having, you know, the, that safe spot at work to be your true authentic self. I think that can be really emotionally damaging to people that feel like they have to hide who they are at work and not be able to be their true selves. Like even Ash has expressed to me, you know, at their job that they get misgendered a lot and it can be really exhausting and draining on their mental health when people consistently misgender them use a name that they don't identify with. And it's really, really hard. And knowing that Ash doesn't have managers that feel the same way I do or take it as seriously as I do is really frustrating for me as a manager. I know that there's a big impact that we can have as leaders of people. And I wish that all managers and leaders felt the same way and was, were implementing those things in the workplace. But I think we're, we're still working on that. And I think that Hopefully there is still progress being made, but it's definitely not as consistent and widespread as I think it should be. So we're working on it, but I'm glad to hear that 
overall, it seems to be going well for us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so as as an ally, but also as a as a leader, has there been pressure? Have you felt pressure uh, or fear about maybe not always getting it right? And what do you really think is one of the most important aspects of your journey as an ally in pushing past maybe that pressure or fear? Yeah. So when I first met Ash and they told me they're non-binary, they use they, them pronouns. I feel like I was, am at a place in my life that that was not shocking. I wasn't scared about misgendering them. I felt like that was very easy to accomplish. I have talked with Ash and they've told me, you know, that previously they did use she, her pronouns and people knew them with those pronouns. So that's why it seems that people have a harder time unlearning that because they did previously refer to Ash that way. And I've seen more of that fear of not getting it right, quote unquote, in like my own family or people that interact with Ash that don't know Ash. And not only Ash, but other people in the community have expressed to me, it's all about intention. Like clearly if you're intentionally trying to misgender someone or blatantly disregarding their pronouns, that's a whole different conversation than if you slip up and say, I'm so sorry and correct yourself. Or if you say it wrong and you get corrected and say, thank you and say it correctly, it's a whole different conversation. So sometimes I am a little afraid of getting it wrong, but I, even in that area, I've seen so much growth. So Ash being non-binary using they, then pronouns, um, is dating, uh, a woman with she, her pronouns, her name's Katie. And my mom asked me and said, so Katie, what are Katie's pronouns? And I could have cried. I was just so amazed that I was even having this conversation with my mom and my mom, though her intention was, you know, I think she was kind of scared of getting it wrong was her mentality that she didn't want to get it wrong. And, but now that she has the tools and the language to ask what are Katie's pronouns so that she could get it right. And that her intentions were good. And that even if she had gone up to Katie and used she, her pronouns, but Katie, you know, if Katie, you know, did use other pronouns and corrected my mom, I think my mom would have been in a place now where she could have said, oh, I'm so sorry. And then use the correct pronouns. So I think again, having a person like a real tangible human being that you can learn from. And I know that it's not the burden of people in the community to teach us. I think it's just hard for people like the, in the generation of my parents to learn without like that real world experience. It's like, this all this like, theoretical stuff of, Oh, if this happened, then that happened. But when they see it in real life, it just makes such a difference. So I would say at this point, I don't really have that pressure, the fear of not getting it right, because I know that my intentions are good and that my heart is in the right place and that I care. And it's all from that place. But I, it's, there's, I know it's definitely a stumbling block for people sometimes that they just decide not to try because they're like, well, I'm just going to get it wrong anyway. What's the point? Or, you know, something along those lines. So I know it can be a hindrance to progress and people being good, true allies. Um, I mean, have you ever experienced anything like that? I feel like my guess would be no, because you're part of it, but that's probably presumptuous of me. I, I'm so glad that you said no, because the answer is yes. <laughs> and I've honestly felt that that fear and that pressure more, more recently, because I do have a friend who also uses they, them pronouns, but I've known them since I was 12 years old, and they also previously identified as she, her. And so it has been really, really difficult, uh, or it was difficult at first to switch that in my brain because I referred to them as she her for over 10 years and so um, I can definitely feel that difficulty especially from from Ash's point of view of you know it, it's a full it's a full relearning process um, and when I was first 
you know, learning to refer to them as they, them, um, I would slip up and I would think about it forever. Like it, it sat with me and I was so embarrassed. And now that I've really like interacted with them a little bit more and it's now become a habit to call them, they, them, then it, it starts to get easier. It's all, it's all about consistency, like the being an ally. So I, and I think fear is good. I, I think the fear of getting it right is a little bit of that pressure that we need to take the initiative to keep doing something to improve ourselves to be better. Oh, totally. It's like what they say at work. Like if you experience imposter syndrome, it's because you care. And I think that maybe, you know, a healthy small amount of fear can be good because you do care. If you didn't care, then you would just do whatever you wanted. So I, I definitely understand that, um, that mindset as well. But I think it's so interesting because like I said, I assumed that because you're part of the community and you know <laughs> I would I feel like you're probably more well versed than I am that you'd be like no I'm not I'm not scared of messing up so even people in the in the community are afraid of messing up or you know making people feel like you know not great by you know making a mistake so I think that's that's really powerful too to share with people that even allies and people in the community are afraid sometimes yeah still trying to be brave <laughs> <laughs> yeah being brave is super important. And Joe, those <laughs> listening at home, why would you tell them that taking ownership as an ally is important? Like, what do you think is important about that experience? Uh, I think it's really important because it creates a safe space for a community of individuals that have been historically living their lives in unsafe spaces. And as an ally, you're really a megaphone for the movement. You know, we need you in order to be heard. We need your signatures on petitions, your presence at protests, your donations to organizations that are committed to supporting the cause. Uh, you know, we need, we need a lot of noise to be made. And so if you are just silent or demonstrative in your allyship, it's not really helping. It's not really pushing anything forward. It's just kind of being complacent in how things are. Uh, so I think it's really important to, like I said, it's a verb, take action. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so powerful. And I would say that taking ownership as an ally is important because I think we need to continue removing the burden off of the people of the community to be educating us and to be doing all the work themselves. If you're really want to be an ally and be a true ally, you need to take ownership of that experience and not depend on other people to do that for you. So that you know, can take a variety of shapes and different avenues of what that looks like for you to own your allyship. But I think there's a lot of resources out there now, you know, especially what we talked about with the internet, social media, there's so many ways to learn. And while what I said about, you know, not depending on the community to teach us and not putting that burden on them, there are incredible creators that choose to educate other folks online, whether through TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, there are people of the LGBTQIA plus community that want to educate and want to help. And I've seen some really transparent creators that really want to help people understand. And they get down to like the nitty gritty. There um, is one particular trans woman that I've seen on TikTok that she will answer any question. And I know some people find certain questions very intrusive and they don't want to answer those questions, but she's like, I am here to help remove the stigma, remove whatever expectations people have of trans women. And I'm going to answer all your questions and normalize this. And I think that's so amazing. So there's just so many resources out there that I feel like there's not really any excuses anymore to be like, well, I just didn't know. You can figure it Google out. Google it. You yeah. can Google it. Bing it if you have to. I, I think Yahoo it. is still out there. <laughs> just Ask look me, it up. <laughs> Ask Jesus. <laughs> 
So I think taking ownership is just the next step in being a good person and being a good ally. Yeah. So, so bringing it back to the workplace, what, what do you think we can all do to contribute to a more inclusive workplace? I think that transparency is one of the biggest things that you can do at work. So when I became a manager, I was not far from the experience of an individual contributor. And I knew what it felt like when I felt left out of the loop or that I felt like I wasn't being communicated with or what it felt like when people weren't treating me with respect. And so I took a lot of those experiences into how I manage people. And I wanted everyone on my team to feel good about the interactions that we were having on our team and with me as a manager. And so back to what we were saying earlier about being repetitive, I am just a broken record over and over. Every time I talk to the team, talk to people individually, I'm telling them that their well-being is the most important thing to me. I tell them to stop apologizing when things happen in their lives, like their kids get sick, you know, traumatic things happen. They need to take time away. I want them to stop apologizing. I want them to take time away. I want them to feel safe and encourage them, let them know I'm here to talk about whatever you want. There's no expectation. You don't have to tell me anything, but just know that I'm here to support you and care for you. And I think that repetition, because people have a lot of work trauma, a lot of work trauma. There's people on my team that have told me, you know, like, oh, I was in the hospital and my team, my company was reaching out to me, bothering me, asking me when I was coming back to work. Meanwhile, you know, I'm recovering from some horrible infection or something. You know, there's a lot of workplace trauma that people have to unlearn and that can take years. And so I just sort of dedicated myself to exuding love and care and transparency. I mean, I tell people all the stuff that's going on in my life, pretty much like on the team, I tell them like, yeah, you know, in therapy today, I was doing this, or I had this experience. And I try to make sure the team knows that I'm a real human too. Like, yes, I approve your time cards, but I'm, I'm a real person too. And I experience similar things to you. And I want to be understanding of the fact that you are more than your job. And I feel like that's a huge one at the end of the day too, that we are all humans with real lives, real families, real experiences that extend beyond our workplace. And it's unrealistic to think that people can show up to work and just leave all of that at the door and just pretend. Yeah. So I encourage people to bring themselves fully to work. And I feel like for the workplace to be more inclusive, we just have to continue having more people like that. Like, of course, we need people like that in leadership, but we also need people that are on the team to continue to support that as well. You know, if we have people aren't buying into it and are kind of like, whatever, we're not really going to get anywhere. So being the broken record, providing resources to people and telling people what I'm learning, how I'm learning those things and just sharing those open experiences, I think has, has helped a lot in allowing people to bring their full authentic self to work. Yeah. And I think even like you said, you, you make yourself a real person, you demonstrate vulnerability and it allows us to display our own vulnerabilities and, and feel comfortable talking about what we're going through and what you said about apologizing for things happening really resonated with me just now because I remembered a time where I got in a car accident. I was hit by a car and, uh, not me as a person, but my car got hit by another car and I texted my manager. I was like, Hey, I'm so sorry. I was in a car accident. I won't be coming into work today. And like, I am apologizing because somebody else hit me with their car. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I didn't even think about that. And I think that's hugely important. And I, I think another really great thing that we can do as leaders in the workplace is, you know, encourage your teams and your coworkers to add their pronouns 
to Slack, we, you know, we mentioned people can be femme presenting or mask presenting and use they, them pronouns. So I think it's really important to make sure that everybody feels comfortable referring to someone with their preferred pronouns. Um, and if you haven't already, you know, take the opportunity now to reintroduce yourself, you know, mm -hmm. hi, this is my preferred name and these are my pronouns. Yeah. And even on that, that note, not being afraid to correct people on behalf of other people, I think. So, you know, there's someone that we work closely with who actually works in a, at a different company, but uses they, them pronouns. And even in like our Slack conversations, talking about that person and like the project that we were working on, someone did not use the correct pronoun. I don't think maliciously, just uh, kind of, you know, unintentionally. And I think it's important to just take that opportunity to say, oh yeah, so-and-so they did that. Or even say, oh, by the way, just a reminder, so-and-so uses they, them pronouns. I think being a champion of that and correcting people in a kind and loving way can also continue to reinforce that of like, I'm going to be a champion for you and defend you and make sure that you're being respected. But yeah, pronouns are such an easy way. Put them in your Slack bio, you put them in your email signature. There's, there's so many options. Put in your, your, you know, Zoom name. You can have your pronouns there too. There's so many ways to do that. I think that's a great idea. Well, I think we've covered quite the gamut today in terms of what it means to be an ally, what it means to take ownership, what it means to educate yourself and to be a champion for the community. So I really enjoyed getting to talk with you, Joe. I mean, we've got together and I think we've shared a lot of these thoughts together just on a one-on-one -on -one basis and chatting it up, but I really glad we got to share this with the community at large and kind of reflect on some really important things here for Pride Month. Definition of smooth right there. Bravo, you two. Let's continue to exercise this brain. So join us for episode two, where we will hear from two more of our beloved friends. See you soon.